Welcome, listener, to the conclusion interview for the game to Shell and Back. In these interviews, we will be taking a look back at the games that we have just played in, take a deeper look into some of the game systems and homebrew worlds that we had the opportunity to enjoy, as well as talking about some post-game thoughts and having some time for GM advice. I'm here with the GM for this game, Kevin Bates. Thank you, first off, so much from the Block Party Podcast Network for running this fantastic game with brave little cute (laughs) mice. In the world of Mouse Guard for us. It was fantastic. Mitch, you are totally welcome. Thank you so much for um, inviting me to be on and be part of it. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. So I want to get into this this interview. I want to start asking you a couple questions of things that we talked about a little bit off air and some things that I had thought that I wanted to ask you just from seeing you GM. And so the first thing that I want to ask you is Mouse Guard. I mean, you have a podcast called Mouse Guardians. What was it about Mouse Guard that drew you in and you were like, this is something that I want to tell stories with. I want to run a podcast with this. I want to run games in this world. So if you haven't ever seen the comics, they're just, they're really quite beautiful pieces of artwork and very cool stories too. So as someone who was big into comic books as a kid and, you know, it's still, you know, I watch cartoons and anime and all that stuff. So I have this strong visual pull towards the source material. So that's definitely the thing that sort of first caught my eye and has never quite let me get out of this desire to, you know, get get more information. Sure. It's like you watch you watch a movie with superheroes and you become very into superheroes. Somebody says, "Hey, let's play a game with superheroes." You're not going to say, nah, what a, I don't, I'm not into yeah. that. Like you, you were familiar with the setting and the art and you're like, I'm drawn in. I want to play. Yeah. In this and world. it has a, it has such an interesting style. Um, I remember when the first book, which is called fall, I think it's 1151. They all have like a season and then kind of a year afterwards. And I remember when that came out and it's this beautiful square hardcover book. And at the end of it, you just have this really intense desire for more. And they came out with winter, which was like, you know, the immediately following season. And shortly after that, they came out with a role-playing game, which was the first edition of the game. It had some artwork that was taken from the comics, but honestly, I was really surprised at how little of it was taken from the comics. Sometimes when you see these, like, licensed tie-in games you know whether it's like a doctor who or a smallville or like you know tv shows or movies those sorts of games when you go through there'll be all these what are basically just screenshots from the material that you're already familiar with and it's kind of like oh i remember this thing that's cool that it's in here i guess but i've already seen that and i was really kind of blown away by how much of the first edition book had very little of that. There were there were certainly some parts where they would use a scene from the comics to sort of illustrate rules or, you know, for big dynamic fight scenes, be like, oh, here's a picture of a cool fight scene. That's cool. But then they had all these individual characters and NPCs and pictures of locations and stuff like that. And it was just this really cool book, which... At the time, I mostly got, just because of the artwork, to be honest, 
but in reading it, it had some really kind of interesting mechanical ideas that I I wanted to tell stories in. At the time, the group of people that I was role-playing with, I think we were running, like, a wacky riffs game, and when, when you try to pitch, like, hey guys, let's take a break <laughs> from this crazy game with skull helmet people in outer space let's let's not do that and uh we'll play as a mouse there's no magic there's nothing cool it's just mice (laughs) it's not a furry game i swear that was kind of how i had pitched it and unsurprisingly none of my real life friends went for it and so Hmm. the idea of running a game in this system kind of sat on the back burner for a while But more recently, the internet is a wonderful thing, and you're able to meet so many people that share interests with you that you don't have in your real-life circles. So we were talking, Palomi and I, who's one of the players in my game, who's also a a visual artist, and we were both really drawn in, and we were talking like, oh, like the art in this game is so beautiful, like, oh, hey, I've always kind of wanted to run this game, And then it sort of became a, like, let's just do it, (laughs) was kind of how we originally started the actual podcast, so. So you said that you were familiar with the source material to start off with, and you've read some of the comics. I think that a lot of of role players get their start with D&D. Yes. Very few role players get by in their life without playing (laughs) D&D. Yeah, I think that's fair. (laughs) Yeah, I think that the idea of D&D, there's a lot of ideas that you're going to find in a lot of systems that have come from D&D. So this is what I want to ask you, because... For those role players out there who haven't maybe strayed from a game like Dungeons and Dragons, who are playing things similar, there are things in Mouse Guard that are very different. Yeah. One of the things is that the game is not based off of regular hit points. Like your characters' lives aren't based off of hit points, it's based off of disposition. And so, one thing I want to ask you is no regular HP. It's shared with the group. What is the one benefit of having a system like that? And is there also a difficulty as a GM in having a system that it's not based off of regular HP? The way that disposition works, it kind of is like a group HP for the party. It also sort of varies from fight to fight because you do actually roll some dice at the beginning of whether it's a fight or an argument, or a chase scene. It works for all of those different systems in sort of a similar way to how Fate, which I would say is probably a, a more popular game that more the listeners might be familiar with than, than Burning Wheel, it uses a, a similar mechanic for a lot of different things, You know, whether it's arguing or running or fighting people with swords. So it is kind of nice to have that same disposition mechanic to handle a lot of different things but one of the nice thing about it being as a group specifically is that it does sort of encourage that narrative team-based style it helps to kind of facilitate all of you are kind of talking out what you want to do and work out as a team there's not that worry of like 
oh, well, I can't do this because I personally am low on hit points right now, so I'll die if, you know, I can't defend right now because I'll die if I don't run away or something like that. And that's sometimes what you can get into in systems like D&D where, you know, there might be something that for the team, this is the right thing to do, but players get really connected to their characters, and they don't want to necessarily, you know, brave sacrifices are are cool when they're a, a very story-driven, narrative-based thing, but, you know, when you're fighting a couple orcs, nobody wants to die because they rolled bad, or the orcs rolled good, or something like that. So it does kind of help you get away from that. As far as if there's any disadvantages with it, I guess the biggest one is that it's a little hard to to grok at first. People are so used to the idea of hit points, so I, I think there's definitely a bit of a learning curve with Mouse Guard, and I would wager with other games that kind of really break from a lot of the core assumptions that Dungeons & Dragons has instilled on role-playing game players for good or for bad. If you reach the point of having zero it's a party thing so what happens does the entire party die is that something that or is that kind of part of the you get to decide as a gm sure so what happens is it kind of depends like let's say when the party was fighting the snapping turtle so the snapping turtle's goal may have been to kill all the party members but it also could have been to escape from being wedged in the building and eat up all the villagers. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the party quote-unquote dies, but it does mean that they have failed in whatever they're trying to do. And there are a couple ways that you can have long-term injuries or penalties or things that happen afterwards. There's a number of mechanical states, so like injured or tired or angry that are kind of like toggleable states that characters will either have or, or not have. So for longer narrative play, like let's say the turtle gets out, he kicks your butt in the fight. Like let's say his his goal was to just eat the four party members. You know, if that was his only goal and his disposition was still full and your guy's disposition was zero, then it's kind of like, well, I guess he does eat you. But if, on the other hand, his goal was to break out of the building and eat the villagers, and you guys got him really close, you know, so maybe he's only down to, like, one or two disposition, but then you're taken down to zero, then it's kind of like a partial success for him. So he doesn't get to eat all of the villagers, but, you know, maybe he eats a bunch of them, or, you know, maybe he just breaks out of the building and doesn't get any of them. So there is sort of a negotiation process that happens afterwards in terms of who wins and what happens. That sounds to me like it's almost both. It's a benefit because as the GM, you can, it's not just like, oh, they're TPK, exactly. but you can come up with a, this is the disadvantage. This is the, the awful thing that happens because you lost this battle. Right. And it also sounds like it's a little bit of a difficulty because it is 
sometimes I'm sure a challenge to go, what happens? Yeah, so going off that, just for some examples, in my own game, one of the things that we've had to do when the party is very soundly defeated by enemy monsters in sort of a straight up fight is doing things like taking their mounts away. So like, you know, in traditional D&D sense, you know, if you're a, a party of adventurers and you're out on horseback and a wyvern swoops down, you don't have to necessarily make it be, okay, well, the party's dead, but the wyvern killing all of the player's horses, that sort of leads a Dungeons & Dragons adventure in kind of a completely different route, because now... Well, you're on foot, you're not going to get to where you were trying to go, and now it's gone from a, hey, we were kind of just rolling some dice to see if something happened while we were traveling, to, well, now we're kind of playing a survival game because you're out in the middle of nowhere, and you don't have your mounts, and you don't have anything that was attached to them, and, and that sort of thing. So while it's definitely kind of a challenge creatively, to kind of think of those once you get a little used to it it can lead you in some really interesting narrative paths that you you may have not been expecting to do and, and one of the things that i find interesting is that at the beginning of a session you know i can kind of have a loose outline of here's what i think will happen if nothing goes wrong but if you roll for like oh well let's see what the weather is like because that's actually a, a thing that's kind of important in this game yeah we did that it turned out nice and yeah, sunny it turned but out we nice did and do sunny, that but it was a little too sunny if i remember <laughs> yeah but it was it wasn't that right. bad <laughs> um when you roll up and the weather's not good and you know it's let's say a rain like that becomes a horrible flood that's like a life-altering event sort of or you know if you roll to see like hey let's see if you guys see if there's any predatory animals around you know some of those roles can take the adventure in really different paths than you than you thought they would when you were just starting out so it leads to some cool directions too so all right so we just played in this amazing game you were an amazing gm we had oh, a, a couple <laughs> of really great players yeah um, what was your favorite moment from this past game i think it was i want to say it was candy with this what was originally kind of like <laughs> a throwaway blacksmith plot yep the blacksmith who was a former guards mouse applicant lester yeah yeah lester yeah so that that's a, a little blurb that's written on the character sheet one of the example ones from the book and i was kind of like well i'll just basically copy these over and uh, you know, I'll let you guys pick he out. He took it to heart. He took Adam it took really, it to yeah, he took it really to heart. <laughs> I think that was definitely at least the, uh, the most memorable part of that game. <laughs> That's fantastic. So. That's great. So Kevin, now's the part of the show that I want you to plug yourself. If our listeners want to hear more of you, if they want to get in touch with you, where can they do all that at? Yeah. So our mouse guardians, Twitter account is unsurprisingly at, mouse guardians just all one word no spaces no dashes none of that just at mouse guardians we do have an email account too if you want to send us something a little bit longer so that's mouse guardians podcast at gmail.com so once again all one word mouse guardians podcast at gmail you can find us on itunes soundcloud we're all over the place as just mouse guardians 
that's where to find our podcast. If you want to tweet at me personally for some reason, you can do that. My personal Twitter is at I am Kevin Bates. It's real easy to find. You like to be straightforward. I yeah. like that about you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. So to round it all out, the last thing I'm going to ask you, do you have, if there are any GMs out there listening or anybody who wants to be a GM in the future and that's something they want to work to, is there any final piece of advice or final word that you want to give to any GMs listening? I would say first, um, if there's a, a system that you want to run, you will be able to find people who want to play that with you if you ask around with resources like you know, Twitter and Facebook and online playing sites like whether it's Roll20 or even just playing over Hangouts or Skype, it's easy to do and you'll be able to, to find people to play in the games that you want to run. So that's my piece of advice. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much once again for being the GM for this game. It was great. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks again for having me, Mitch. And you are quite welcome for running the game. <laughs> Well, listeners, I hope that you have enjoyed this game of the GM Showcase. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at thegmshowcase at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at GM underscore showcase, and you can like our Facebook page. If you like what we do here at the GM Showcase, if you've been enjoying these stories, these games, please consider taking five seconds of your time, heading over to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review. It really helps the show get out there for more people to enjoy. I'd like to take a second and thank a few of you who have already done this. Thank you so much, D&D Enthusiast and Blake Ryan 74 for those five-star reviews. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, we have a Patreon, and you can check out the link for that in the show notes. The GM Showcase is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out other shows in our network like the Dungeon Masters Block, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. Well, that's it for this game of the GM Showcase. Thanks, Blockheads, for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>